Good morning and happy Earth Day. My public relations students would call today a trigger event, an event that may serve to motivate us to reconsider our attitudes or, at best, move us to action. As some of you know, I teach advertising and public relations, and my profession is very aware of the power of trigger events. In fact, the advertisers were out in force on Sunday using a lot of paper to remind you that it was Earth Day. And if you miss Sunday's ads, Disney has used today as a platform to launch their new movie, Earth. So marketers obviously want today to be a trigger day for you to go shop or head to the movies. But as people of God who acknowledge that Earth is part of God's creation, what does Earth Day, this trigger event, mean for us? As I considered this question when preparing for today's talk, I read so many beautiful poems and psalms about God's glorious creation. But instead of sharing beautiful poetic words, I kept coming back to the words that were spoken to me with a distinctive South Side of Chicago accent by a tough, been-around-the-block-a-few-times sailor-turned-firefighter, my dad. What his phrase lacks in poetry and precision, it makes up in style, and it's part of a story that is the earliest memory I have of engaging with creation and the Creator all on my own, without a parent leading me in prayer, without my Sunday school teacher, and without my pastor guiding me. I was a very young girl, maybe six or seven at the time, and I was the youngest of seven children, three of whom had developmental disabilities. Back then, they were called retarded. And our house was rather chaotic. Just consider the sheer number of us and then throw in the large extended family who would visit often, my dad's firefighter buddies who would stop in to check on us while he was on duty at the firehouse, and then the disabilities and special needs and, well, you can imagine. My house was welcoming and loving, but peaceful it was not. Not even Sunday mornings were peaceful. Imagine trying to get us all up and dressed and out the door to church. But you might be thinking, well... Maybe they, after they all settled in the pew, it would be peaceful. But no, I learned at a very young age that life was unpredictable, especially when three of your siblings didn't share the same social norms that others did. So if the priest would ask a rhetorical question like, Who among us is worthy of heaven? My sister Carol just might shout out, Elvis! To avoid the chaos and the unpredictability, I watched TV the Partridge family, and the Brady Bunch. I mean, if you're going to have a big family, at least everyone could have musical talent and be good-looking with perfect white teeth. But as soon as my dad walked in the door, he would shut the TV off and send me outside with these inspiring words. Go blow the stink off ya. We lived in the suburbs of Chicago, but back then it was nearly the country and we had a forest behind my house. When my dad shooed me out, I would go and lay in the forest. The sounds changed depending on the seasons. In the summer, frogs croaked and crickets chirped, but in the snowy winter, it was very, very still and peaceful, and I felt like it was just me and God's creation. I would stare up at the branches of tall trees for what felt like hours. The more time I spent in the forest, the more I noticed that creation was spirit-filled. It was alive. As I lay there, I remember my perspective changing, I was no longer outside in nature, but nature was me, too. I, was no long, I no longer had the feeling of visitor, but of member. I stopped viewing it as other and began viewing it as connected. God used the forest to teach me lessons about death and regrowth, about interdependence and connectedness, 
and to respect the mystery of life in each living creature. When I was nine, we moved to Thousand Oaks. I left my special forest behind, and at the time, in my nine-year-old mind, I thought maybe God would be left behind too. But I was delighted with our new house in Wildwood. There I was, able to continue my conversations with God in the caves, next to the waterfall, and under the sycamores, and up on the ridges. If I felt like I needed a one-on-one with God, I took to the trail. As I got older, married with children, and therefore less spontaneous, we planted a garden. Over the years, as I listen to people talk about where they sense God or a deep sense of peace, I find that my experience is not that unique. God has approached many of us as we are engaged with nature, at the ocean, in the mountains. Ken Peterson, in his essay, The Educational Imperative of Creation Care, cites a growing body of research that provides evidence that contact contact with nature correlates with the development of positive attitudes and constructive behavior toward the non-human world. Peterson suggests that this is a manifestation of God in us. He says, quote, God is love. Creation is an expression of that love. But he also adds, we are unlikely to love what we do not know and what we have not experienced. According to the advocacy group for outdoor exploratory education called No Child Left Inside, the average child can identify 1,000 corporate logos, but less than 10 plants and animals native to their backyards. Now remember, my background, I place no fault in those that create strong brands, but it does sadden me to think that if we miss an opportunity to help a child engage with creation, that child might also miss an opportunity to engage with his or her creator. Of course, to leave that opportunity for future generations, to discover God's peace through creation, we must care for creation. We must be good stewards, or what Kim Winchell of ELCA calls, earth keepers. She writes, Faithful earthkeeping can deepen our relationship both with God and with one another as we work for the healing of the world. So this morning, on this Earth Day, I would like us to use this trigger event to see if we could consider ourselves a community of earthkeepers. What would that look like? To be a community of earthkeepers would challenge us in three ways to be open to the idea of interdependence, to embrace unity, and to remain engaged in stewardship. In 2003, Bishop Hansen of the ELCA addressed this idea of interdependence when he wrote, God gives us and all creatures life through the water, air, food, and all the other gifts that come to us from the earth. Everything we do both depends on these gifts and has some kind of impact upon them. If these gifts are treated with contempt and abused, people, animal, and plants suffer together. If they are graciously received and cherished, people will flourish with the rest of creation. We cannot love God or our human neighbor without caring for creation. To be a community of earth keepers, we must be willing to acknowledge our interdependence. To be a community of earth keepers, we must embrace unity. In her book, Green Sisters, A Spiritual Ecology, Sarah McFarland Taylor writes of a Catholic network of sisters who call themselves the Sisters of Earth. Taylor calls these women who are working for eco-justice bioneers. One of the sisters interviewed explained that their unifying principle of caring for the earth lays aside what she called that old duality of nature and spirit, and she repeated one of their chants, There is one breath, 
one life, one earth, one chance. All is holy, all is sacred, all is one. Christians are not unique in this belief that creation is sacred. If you search spiritual environmentalism, you'll find entries entries from nearly every religious tradition, including the Islamic, Buddhist, and Jewish traditions. To be an earthkeeper is to embrace our unity. To be an earthkeeper is to be engaged, and this is the one that takes more than just intellectual or spiritual buy-in. This one requires that we get our hands dirty, and we find this instruction communicated to us in Genesis. In chapter 1, Be masters of the fish and sea, the birds of heaven, and all living animals on the earth. Just a few weeks ago, we shared, we heard Jesus' teachings on how masters are to act. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So if we follow Jesus' instruction here, masters are caregivers. It is hard to care for something unless you become engaged with it. Have you ever tried to care for a crying baby without engaging it, without picking up the infant and holding her, speaking to her softly, singing to her, rocking her, or maybe even changing a diaper? How we choose to respond to the call of engagement as individuals will vary. Some may be environmental activists to raise our awareness. Some may be scientists to help us better understand our natural environment. Some may be business leaders ushering in a new era of sustainable solutions that are also economically sound. Some may be artists who share nature's inspiration through music or painting, and some may be teachers or ministers who will expose the next generation to the wonders of God's creation. We can and we must take steps to create less waste and be more responsible in the decisions we make regarding water and energy and even food consumption. No matter how you respond to the call, there is no ambiguity in God's call to us to be earth keepers. And we've been asked since the beginning of time in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. How long will it take for us to respond? Can God rely on us to care for his creation so that future generations might come to know God's love and peace? Are we ready to call ourselves a community of earth keepers? As you ponder how you might respond to Earth Day, this trigger event, I encourage you to go at least take one small step today in becoming an Earth Keeper. Go blow the stink off ya.